Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Heartland. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brad. Uh, I love that I get to be a pastor. I love that I get to team up with with Dan and the other pastors here. And we're kicking off a brand new series we're going to tell you about here in a second. But just glad that you're here and that we get to do this together, all of you who are watching online. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me, is that I am a wannabe um, car restorer. Any of you restore cars? Like this is a hobby of yours. You do this. You have some experience with this. So um, let me just be clear about what I mean about that. By meaning wannabe, um, I've never actually restored a car. Um, I've never so much as taken a a wrench to a car engine. Uh, I did change a brake light once, and I felt really good about that. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, But uh, I've watched a couple of TV shows about car restorers, and it looks like it's really cool. So that's what I mean about wannabe car restorer, but it's just, you know, really fun to watch. I had a neighbor once uh, growing up who had, he did this just, just all the time. He would always, I'd see a car show up every few months that would be on the back of a, of a trailer and the thing, the car was all beat up and bruised and, and out of commission and looked really more like a piece of kind of tinfoil that would get pushed into his garage. And for the next several months, I would hear him working on this car, often late at night, like using, using drills and welders and grinders. And those are the things you have to, you tools you use to restore cars. Can someone verify that? Okay. <clears throat> I did Google that. What kind of cool tools do you use to restore cars? Um, and, and then in, in this process of restoring this old beat up dilapidated car back to life. And that's what, when we talk about restoration, um, that's what restoring something is, that you're taking the original value and beauty and purpose and usefulness of something, and you're, you're infusing that back into the thing. And so it was awesome as you'd hear him working on this to, to await the day when suddenly the car would kind of pull out of the garage in its, in its completed form. And it was shiny and you would hear the engine turn over and you would, you would see this thing restored back to life and ready to take on the pavement, just like it used to do back in the day. And when you see that, it's, it's, it's inspiring, it's awesome, it makes you want to be able to do that too. And so we're starting this new series called Restore My Soul. Because the truth is, and if we're honest with ourselves, and we try to be that here at Heartland, we try to be honest with ourselves, and if we're honest with ourselves, the truth is that lots of times in, in life, we are a lot like those kind of broken down, bruised cars that look like pieces of tinfoil on the backs of trailers, that we find ourselves, maybe our souls, maybe parts of our life, a lot like that. Whether it's just the, the daily toil of life over the course of decades that has left us in, in that form of state. Or maybe there's something just in our life that has taken its hits, whether it's a, a bruised or broken you know, marriage or family or career or even faith in God where we need something to come and restore us, to to bring back that life and purpose and value and worth that that we once had, that we were created with. And so in the the course of this series, that's what we're talking about. If you've ever felt like that or you feel like that right now, the good news is you're not alone. We're all in that boat. We all need something to restore us. And the even better news is that God is a God who restores That God loves to take what has been bruised and broken and he loves to repair and restore these things, whether it's souls or lives or relationships 
or families or churches. He loves to restore communities. And ultimately, the story of the Bible is a story of God restoring the world back to what he created and intended it to be. That that's the, that's the God that we are worshiping when we, when we come together. That our God is a God who restores. And he wants and is able to restore us. So we took the name of this series from a verse um, in one of the most famous Psalms there is. The Psalms is this, if you're new to scripture, new to faith, new to church, the Psalms is this book of the Bible right in the middle. It's 150 of them that were written by different people over the course of many, many years throughout the history of the people of Israel. And it's these ancient writings of, of them account, recounting the, the, the experience of life, the ups and downs of life and the chaos of the world and what they were going through. And ultimately, all of these writings got collected into this book and were then turned into kind of the, the hymnal for the people of Israel. And they would be used in the services and in the synagogues uh, still to this day as the people would come and worship God. And so as we read the Psalms, this is ultimately what we're reading. And if there's something that the Psalms speaks about, it's that our God is a God who restores. And so what I love about the Psalms is because when we find ourselves feeling things that we just can't seem to put words on, we can't put words to them when we're not sure where God is or what's going on, the Psalms, I think, are one of our most trusted companions. That, that the Psalms allow us to be able to come to God, to approach him with this gut level honesty, that this raw and genuine kind of faith, even if it's broken and struggling at times, that the Psalms, often in the Psalms, we hear the Psalmist praising God, yet also making pleas of God and even protesting God, often within the same breath. That the Psalms do not pretend, they have no interest in, in pretending that life is good and happy and joyful all the time. That they reconcile, they kind of bring the good and the bad and the ugly all together and allow us to, to come to God with all of those things. And so that's the kind of raw honesty and companion that we need, especially when we find ourselves in those bruised and broken places when life has taken its toll on us. And so over the next few weeks, over this four-week series, uh, we're going to be tackling some of our favorite psalms. We're going to be pulling some of our psalms that each of our pastors, communicators for that weekend have said, you know what, this is, a, this is a psalm that has been special to me in my life. And that God has used this psalm to restore me in some way. And so this weekend, it was a no-brainer for me of which psalm I wanted to pick for us to dive into together, to be encouraged by God together. And it comes from Psalm 46. And if you have a Bible, if you brought one with you, if you have one on your phone, I want to encourage you, you can read along with me as I read the 11 verses of this psalm. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's cool. Just listen to me as I share these words over us. And maybe there's a verse or a phrase that stands out to you. Here it is, written centuries ago. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall and he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So come and see what the works of the Lord and the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And if there's kind of a, a maybe a title that we, could, that we could give Psalm 46, it's this, who is God in the chaos? Who is God in the chaos? Because the opening verses of this psalm, we hear this declaration that God is our strength and our help, so we will not fear. But then quickly, we hear all of this dramatic language of describing the confusion of watching these natural disasters. If you paid attention to those words of, and the nations and uproar around them, we heard of the city of God that will not fall and that ultimately God is a warrior and a fortress. And in the midst of these 11 verses and all of, all of this dramatic imagery, there's one verse that, that grabbed me. And it's one verse that I think stands out among all of the others. And the reason it does so because, is because it's the only verse in this whole psalm that's in quotation marks. Because it's the only verse that's spoken by God. And it's this one right here. Maybe this is the, the verse that jumped out at you. Let's read this together. Can we do that? Everyone online? Everyone here in person? We got it? So be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, I've, I've heard this verse many times. This is kind of one of those what I call greeting card verses. Like you kind of see it a lot. It, 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 it jumps out more than on the others, especially when we're trying to encourage one another, comfort one another in hard times. And, and because of that, because it can be so familiar, I think sometimes we miss some of the, the deep, raw meaning of, the, of this verse and how powerful it is. Now, I've heard it a, uh, many, many times, but it was only recently that I began to realize the two different parts of this verse, to be still, to know that he is God. And, and it's one thing to be still, right? But it's a whole other thing to know that he is God. And, and today, I think it's an opportunity for us to kind of collectively ask ourselves, how are we doing at those things? How are you doing at being still? And how are you doing at knowing that he is God? In fact, if we, if we kind of rewind the, the tape a little bit, if we rewind the tape back to, I know we don't like to go back there because we want to keep this season of our life in the rearview mirror, but if you go back to spring of 2020, do you remember what was going on then? A lot was happening. Our world was changing really quickly, almost overnight. Do you remember what you were doing in the spring of 2020? Nothing. You were doing nothing. None of us were doing much of anything. We couldn't. Through guidelines and government orders after COVID hit, we, we didn't know what was going on, and so we were encouraged to, to stay at home, and so there was a whole lot of nothing. Stillness was actually thrust upon us in that season. And, and so to be still was actually kind of maybe an easy thing to do, that the, the cars in our driveway sat unmoved for, for weeks, that the vacation plans that, that you had painstakingly planned and secured and gotten in place were, were canceled, that the highways that were once congested with traffic for your morning commute were just wide open spaces, that, that the soccer fields and the baseball fields where we would gather to watch our kids or the stadiums that we would you know, jump into the K or whatever to be filled with people normally congested with all of that energy and excitement and people sat empty. If there was a time in our life that stillness should be easy, it was that time. In fact, seismologists, the group of scientists who their whole job is to study the activity and the noise of the earth. So in the midst of the COVID stay at home kind of period, what seismologists reported was that the earth was quietest in decades during those lockdowns. 
that in that moment, our level of activity and movement and motion decreased so much. It was up to 50% for the earth's largest cities. By all accounts, you and I were being stiller than we ever had been. But were we? Were you? Was I? Really? Really? Being, being still in that moment? Being still in the way that this psalmist talks about? See, I'll give you a glimpse into what it was like for me. The first, like when we were told that we couldn't leave the house, I was like, this is the best day of my life. Like I don't have to see people. Y'all are exhausting. I don't know I can wear my comfy clothes all day long and no one knows. And then I had to like get on video so I would put on a nice shirt. But the rest, you know, then I could wear sweatpants on the bottom half of me. Like it was just, I could be home. I could chill out. I could enjoy just laying around and, and, and just enjoying the comfort of relaxing at home. And then day five hit. And it was like, this is driving me nuts. Like, I'm just getting antsy. I need something to do. I can't, I can't handle all of this stillness. So I remember at one point, um, I was digging through the hall closet, and, I, and I, found, um, I found one of these. Do you, know, do you know what this is? If you do, lean over to the person next to you and, and show them how much you brag before them by telling them what this thing is. If you're online watching this, type it in the chat window, and we'll give you extra bonus points for that. Um, this is what's called a, a pill remover. Or sometimes you might call it like a, a, a fabric shaver. That it takes all of the fuzz, the pills are the little balls of fuzz on your sweaters and things. And you just rub it over and it shaves all those things to a nice clean thing. Maybe you've never heard about this. Um, it's really cool. You should go to Target, get these for like $12.99. Um, and I found this in my hall closet and I, I realized, I was like, oh man, that's cool. Maybe I'll just go, I've got some sweaters. We lived in Minnesota at the time, so my whole closet was sweaters. So I... I took this and I started cleaning all of my sweaters and I put them on and I'm like, that's really nice, that's cool. It was the first productive thing I felt like I had done in a week. And so then I was like, ooh, if it does this on my sweaters, I should, we have a couch. I'm gonna use this on the couch. So I started shaving the couch and getting it all nice and clean. I was like, you know what? The bottom of the cushions are pretty bad too. I'm gonna do that. And I'm like, well, there's a love seat. I need to do the love seat too. So I'm gonna start doing all this. And I'm like, well, the basement has a couch in there too. So I'm gonna go downstairs, clean that all up. In the midst of this, my wife walks in on me and looks at me and she's like, who in the world are you? And what did you do with my husband? And I was like, I just have to do something. I have to be in motion. I have to accomplish something. And that's not necessarily usually my wiring. But uh, what I realized in that moment is that I couldn't be still. What about you? <laughs> so you think back on that season. Were you still? My hunch is probably not that there came a point when you needed to be mo in motion or do something or be on out and about, and, and if, it was a, if it was hard then, then it's definitely hard now because we have become so much, we have become accustomed to so much activity, so much hurry and noise and work and stress in our life that has just become normal, that when that decreases, when that is removed from our life, we realize we can't live without it. That's how active and busy our lives have become. And so what we learned in the spring of 2020 is that stillness is not simply a physical thing. Stillness is, in fact, our physical unrest is driven by a deeper, more internal unrest. And when God in Psalm 46 says, be still, he's talking about a stillness of our soul and our spirit. It's this ability to rest without feeling guilty. It's this ability to wait without worry. And step down and slow down from, from all of our striving. 
That's the kind of stillness that God wants us to be able to embrace. And as I say that, <laughs> I think we're all thinking the same thing. Like, that, that sounds great, but that's impossible. That's just, that's just hard. Can, can we even do that? And I think, as hard as it is, I think we can, and I think we have to, especially given that this is not simply God's invitation to us, but it's also his command to us. That if we're really going to experience the restoration that he wants to bring into our souls and our life, then we have to step back and be still. And the reason why he would ask this of us, and this is kind of the big point I want us to hang on to this morning. The reason is why is because stillness is how we know God in the chaos. Let's say that out loud together. Stillness is how we know God in the chaos. And now, in fact, there are facets of God that I think we can't experience without being still. Think about that for a second. There are facets of God that we can't experience or maybe can't experience as deeply and richly without being still. And even as I say that, there's probably some of you people in this room, highly productive people who make the rest of us look bad usually. People in this room who are like, wait a second, isn't following God all about movement? That sounds a little bit too passive that we need to be still to experience the presence of God. That Jesus talks about following me. Following involves movement. That we serve one another and we take up our cross and we follow him. And, and all of these, these things of living on mission and, and, and reaching our world. And that's true. And I would, if you're thinking that, I would amen that right with you. That, that God meets us in our movement. But he also meets us in other ways. He meets us in our stillness. In fact, listen to how author Mark Buchanan in his book, it's a great book, The Rest of God, if you're looking for a book to read this summer, listen to how he recognizes this tension between movement and stillness. He writes that often God meets us along the way as we go. He waits to see who will step out before he sidles up, woos us over, intercepts, redirects. But other facets of God we discover only through stillness. Only Mary, Martha's sister, sitting wide-eyed and open-eared, truly hosts Christ in her home, only those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. Only those who are quiet and watchful find God's mercy is new every morning. He makes me lie down, Psalm 23 says. But if we don't choose to lie down, God sometimes makes us. And I wonder if the seasons of, of kind of chaos that we find ourselves in is God's invitation, maybe even his command, maybe even it's his time of making us, forcing us, to lie down. Why? Because it's in stillness that we get to experience and know who God is in the chaos. So what I want to do is I just want to pull out a few things from this psalm, from Psalm 46, a few things that, that stillness teaches us about who God is, that we can hold on to and apply to our life together. And so here's the first thing. First thing I want us to know is that in stillness, we know the Lord as Almighty. In stillness, we know the Lord as almighty. I'm going to come back to that word as here in a second. But just start off with that word almighty. Especially if you're newer to church, it sounds like one of those church words. What do we mean by that? Basically, we mean that, that all of the might in the world belongs to God. That he is the all-powerful. That there is nothing outside of his strength, outside of his, his control. Um, that he is the almighty. In fact, there's a refrain that shows up a couple of times. This kind of chorus of sorts in the psalm that you might have heard. And it shows up in verse 7 and again in verse 11 that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
The first time we hear this is right after this picture of the chaos that is the chaos and confusion happening in the world, this dramatic metaphorical language of the earth giving way, of the mountains falling into the sea, of nations in an uproar, of kingdoms falling. I mean, like this, for the person who is writing this, they're having a bad day. There's a lot happening in their world, and it's dramatic and it's metaphorical because the, the Psalms frequently will use metaphor to help us experience and see, to understand the depths, the weight of what they were feeling and to help us connect and step into it. And so for them, the the earth was giving way. It helps us to experience the disruption that we feel when the powers of this world, when the powers of our life feel like they're being thrown out of control. So for them, it might've been the powers of the nations. It might've been the powers of, of their own community or their own life. But what are the powers of your life here and now that feel like they may be spinning out of control? In fact, if you just think about the past few years, just think about the past few weeks, essentially every headline that you and I have read for the past few weeks is pretty much a headline about some power in our world that feels like it's spinning into chaos. Something that we've regarded to be all-powerful, all-mighty, you might say, that proves not to be. That it could, it, that it could be governments, it could be countries, it could be economies. I think it's funny when you think about the economy that there's a word that, that shows up in, in, in financial sectors, something called securities, right? That we actually name the money of our society as a security, that we find our security and power in, in whether it's the stock market, the economy, the nations, the governments, leaders, schools and communities, things that we have known to be the most powerful and secure aren't as much as we once thought And when that happens, that messes with us. That in the the midst of this chaos, the psalmist says, the Lord is almighty. Which is to say, when everything around us feels like it's spinning out of control, God is still in control. So question I wanna ask you is, do you know that the Lord is almighty? And even as I say that, I have to recognize When you're going through life at its hardest, for someone to stand in front of you and say, well, you know that God is almighty, right? That can feel like one of the most trite platitudes there is. And I really wrestled with this as as I was preparing these thoughts because we don't need any more trite platitudes in the church because God is not about trite platitudes. But what makes something trite is that it may be true, but it's not helpful. Maybe not in that moment, maybe not in that way. And so how do we make that shift from something that's true, that God is almighty, to also being helpful if we find ourselves in life's worst moments, when chaos is happening all around us or in us? And I think we begin to make that turn if we change that word and change that question from do you know the Lord is almighty to do you know the Lord as almighty? Do you know the Lord as Almighty? See, the Lord is Almighty is very different from knowing that the Lord at knowing the Lord as Almighty. Knowing the Lord is Almighty, that's information. That's information about God. But knowing the Lord as Almighty, that's personal. And that's when that truth begins to become helpful that He isn't just Almighty, He's your Almighty. And that's what stillness offers us. It allows us to take the things that we know about God and unlocks those things to become personal and to root those things deep into our soul. And I'm convinced that every single situation and season that we go through, especially the hardest ones, are God's invitations to to take the things that we, we know he is and to begin to know him as those things.
And so for you, as you think about whatever chaos may be swirling in your life or around you, what is it that you know about God? What is it that you know he is that he wants you to know him as? So maybe it's that you've known or heard that God is a good father. And in this season of chaos and trouble, he wants you to know him as a good father. Maybe it's that you've known or heard or even told other people that he is a strength, that he is a comfort. But he wants you in a deep, personal way to know him as your comfort, to know him as your strength. That from now on, when you say that or hear that or share that with others or seeing that in our worship services, that there's something that you can look back to in your life that God walked with you through. And you know what? I know he not only is these things, I know him as those things. And that's what stillness offers us. That stillness allows us to take those things, the things that he is, and to know him as those things. But not only does stillness teach us that God, to know God as the Almighty, it also teaches us, shows us that in stillness, we know that God is with us. That God is with us. You know, back when COVID was hitting, we were all scrambling so fast and so hard to try to stay connected with one another, right? Remember that? Like we were like, how do, how do we leverage technology in every way possible to try to stay connected? Because we knew, even for the biggest introverts in the world, we knew that we needed and wanted and craved connection with one another. And so we learned so many ways that we could use connection to be with one another. The way you could use, I'm sorry, that we could leverage technology to be with one another. And as awesome and as helpful as technology is, the other thing that we learned in the midst of all of this is that no amount of technology can replicate the fullness of our physical presence with each other. That no amount of technology can replicate the, the warmth that we feel when we give someone a hug. That, that when we can't sense the emotion behind someone's eyes when they're talking to us, when we're looking at them virtually. That we can't feel the way a room changes as people walk into it or a certain someone walks into it when it's happening, when it's happening virtually. As awesome as technology is, nothing can replicate the fullness of our physical presence with one another. And that's so important because the psalmist wants us to know that God is a physically present with us God. God is not simply a virtually with us God. God is not simply a, a, a distantly with us God, but he is a physically present with us God. And it's that kind of presence he wants us to know because I think when life hits its most chaotic seasons, the first place we go, the first question we ask, isn't it, is where are you, God? You say you're here, but it sure doesn't feel like it. In fact, that's one of the questions that gets thrown out there in those protests about, in, in the Psalms against God. That in Psalm 13, it says, it begs, why have you hidden yourself from me? Psalm 22 says, why are you so far off? Why have you left me all alone? In fact, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, this was the very psalm that he quoted. This was the very question that Jesus himself cried out from the cross of, of why have you forsaken me? So if you've ever felt like God wasn't with you, you're in good company. Now here's, here's what I want us to know when, when it comes to what we feel about life and feel about God is God will never dismiss your emotions, your feelings from your relationship with him. Those things are crucial. Those things are important. Those are, we just spent a whole month talking about our feelings and our thoughts and, and what role do they play in our relationship with God. But we always have to take and identify, understand what we're feeling and compare it to, hold it up against what we know to be true. 
And I think that's why this truth rings out so clearly in the psalm that God is with us because there are times in our lives where it doesn't feel like this. So when I read this, I feel like this is the psalmist reminding themselves and as the people of Israel would use this to worship, it was a reminder to them, a way of them shouting into their souls, God is with us, God is with us, even and especially when we don't feel like it. And so that's what stillness offers us, that in stillness, that's when we slow down our hearts from skimming the surface of his presence in our lives, that stillness allows us to be present with God so that we can experience his presence with us. There's a quote, we, we use it frequently by Dallas Willard, that, that love and hurry are incompatible. Have you ever heard that before? Love and hurry are incompatible. It's so true. You can't love someone in a hurry. I think if we replace love with, with presence, that presence and hurry are incompatible. It's just as true. And I think there's a lot to be said about how much love and presence have to do with one another. And what it teaches us about God is he's not in a hurry with us. He's patient with us. And because he is, he's fully present with us. That God is not a distant, virtually present God, but he is with us. And how would that change your ability to endure, walk through the chaos of your life if you fought for this truth in your soul the way that the psalmist does here in Psalm 46? That in stillness, we know God as the Almighty and we know that he is with us. We also know something else. We know in stillness that God is our fortress. God is our fortress. When I was a kid, I liked to think that I got a doctorate in building forts. Anyone else with me? That's what basements were for. And so on rainy days when we couldn't go outside, we took every single couch cushion we could, every stool, every chair, every yardstick, every blanket and sheet in our house. My, my mom hated it, but at least we were busy for a few hours. And we would go down to the basement and we would just build the most complex, elaborate fort. You know that we lived up, my family, uh, now that we have kids, we uh, lived up in Minnesota for a few years. And um, it snows in November and it doesn't stop till sometime in May. And the snow doesn't go anywhere because you're freezing the whole time. And so we, we lived at the end of a cul-de-sac, which is just the best place to raise a family. If any of you are on cul-de-sacs, you're living, you're living a great life right now. But the snow plow would come anytime it was snow and would just push the snow into these massive three piles at the end of our street, one in front of each house. And each house had a group of kids living in it. And so we knew that after school, when the kids got home, those forts... Those, those, those um, snow piles, which were growing massive and massive, would just turn into these snow forts and that this snowball fight would just ensue until darkness came, which in Minnesota was usually like 3.45 in the afternoon, so they had to work quick. But you think about what a fort is. That forts give you defense. They give you protection. They give you a, a place to hide. And for God to be our fortress is huge. It's a place for us to regroup and rest and, and be restored. And our team this week was kicking around, just what is, it, what is it that we are being protected from in this season? What is it that we need God's protection from? And there was one kind of answer that um, one of our pastors offered that I think just rang true for all of us that we've experienced in our conversations with one another, with you, with our own families and friends. And it's protection against fear, especially fear of the unknown, especially the very definition of chaos is that you don't know what's coming next. And when that's the case, when things are out of your control, then we become afraid of what might be coming next. That in chaos and unrest, we don't know what's next for the world. We don't know what's next for Europe. We don't know what's next for a pandemic that 
just doesn't seem to go away. We don't know what's next for an economy, especially for many of you who are thinking about retirement or for saving for college for your kids. We don't know what's next for our kids as they face the unknown of what they'll face in school or in their lives. No matter what we face the unknown of, no matter what we might be afraid of, the question, the more important question for us is, who are you making your fortress? Or what are you making your fortress? What's giving you protection in these moments? Because if we find ourselves fearful and shaken, it may be because we've sought refuge in something other than God. That when we feel the walls and ground underneath us start to shake, sometimes it's because we've put something in God's place to protect us. It could be our bank accounts, it could be a stock market, it could be our retirement, it could be our political leaders, it could be the next round of political leaders, it could be the person that we've married, the career that we have, the training, the resume that we have in our background. There's something, there's always something in our life that we're tempted to make our fortress other than God. And when the chaos comes, we can always expect those things to shake and to be broken down. That none of us, we have to wrestle with this truth, reconcile, wrestle this truth, is that none of us is nearly as control of the world around us and inside of us than we want to be, than we like to think that we are. That we have to, and this is what stillness helps us do, make God our fortress. Because in that fortress, we experience him as the Almighty. We experience his presence with us. But here's the other thing. Here's the awesome thing is that not only is God with us in the fortress, God is also fighting for us. That in stillness, God is fighting for us. Verse nine talks about how God makes wars cease, how he breaks the bow, how he shatters the spear, how he burns the shields, that God is this warrior, that he's not only a fortress, but he's a warrior. And then right after that verse, all about the warrior of who God is, verse 10 shows up. And the sequence is important. Verse 10, that be still and know that I am God. And that sequence is important because it tells us that not only is God saying this, be still and know that I am God, not only is he saying this to the people of Israel, he's also saying this to all of their enemies. He's saying this to those whose bows he's breaking, whose shields he's burning. He's saying this because, because at the time, the, the people of, of Israel were surrounded by armies and countries that were always warring with one another and, and threatening Israel. And so God, God is saying, hey, be still. Know that I am God. In other words, hey, quit all this fighting and recognize and accept the fact that there is one God and you're not it, it's me. That God is shouting down the chaos of the world around Israel. And it's God's way of telling Israel, I am fighting for you. Not only am I with you, but I am fighting for you. And he says the same thing to you and me. In fact, in this opening verse, if you heard it, if you look closely, there's some mention of the seas, like water, the oceans, the seas. Talk about how the mountains are surging into the sea. Mountains don't do that on their own. It takes the powerful sea crashing up against the mountains and they're surging into the seas. That The seas were powerful, that the sea's waters were roaring and foaming and surging. And oftentimes in the Psalms and, and frequently in the Old Testament, the seas were a metaphor for the chaos of the world. That the seas were a metaphor for the nations that were warring with and around the people of Israel. It was the psalmist's way of saying that God is calming the chaos of the world, that God is calming the seas. Now remember, this is a psalm that the people of Israel would use in their own worship services time and time again as they show up at the synagogue. So hundreds of years later, we see Jesus show up on the scene, right? 
And we see him walking around announcing that he is the son of God. And there's a new power. There is a new kingdom that is at work. And we find him with his disciples one night in a boat on a sea. And Mark, the gospel writer, tells us that, that the storm, a furious storm comes up and the waves surged and the, the water broke over the sides of the boat, nearly sinking it. And in the midst of this storm, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. You probably know the story. And the disciples were frantic. And they run and they find, they find Jesus. And, and, and they say, wait, they, they say this. They say, hey, hey, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher. Because they don't yet believe that he is the Lord. They don't yet know him as the Almighty. I say, where are you? Why aren't you here with us? Why aren't you helping? Grab a bucket, man. They need a defense. They need a fortress. They come to him and they're asking all of the questions that Psalm 46 answers. And in that moment, Jesus stands up in the boat. He looks out at the storm. And what does he say? He says, quiet, be still. That Jesus was calming the seas. And in that moment, I wonder if some of the dots were getting connected for the disciples as they thought about a psalm, Psalm 46, that they had heard and maybe even sung or read countless times in their, in their times at the temple. And now they're watching a guy who proclaims to God, stand and look at the seas and say, quiet, be still. And they probably finished the sentence, maybe. Know that I am God. In fact, Mark tells us that it's in this moment that these guys begin to realize that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He was the Almighty. Here's what I know. There are storms in our world. There are storms in your world. Sometimes God calms the storms around us. Sometimes he calms the storms in us. I talked to one of, one of our families that they just loaded up the moving van this week. And they're entering a storm. They're going into a brand new community to start afresh. I talked to someone else just this morning who just unloaded their minivan. And they're trying to figure out life, a new way of life here, that's a storm. I talked to another Heartlander this week who just got a phone call from their parents saying that there was a new diagnosis. You have your storms. Kids, you're entering high school or a college trying to figure out what to make of yourself in the world, there will be storms that will come in your life and in mine. And as you think about summer, as much as you want it to be a time of rest for you, maybe you're just standing in the boat, looking at the water, break over the sides, wondering, God, where are you? And it's in that moment that Jesus is looking at you and me, saying, be still and know that I am God. And in stillness, we know that he not only is the Almighty, we know him as the Almighty. We know that he's with us. We know that he's a fortress protecting us from the fear of the unknown. And we know that he's a warrior fighting for us. And because he is those things, then we can be still. And so, as you think about your chaos, will you hear his invitation to know that he is God and to be still so you can one more word on the side of this psalm that shows up a few times. And it got added into the passage later by uh, the, the people who were putting all the psalms together. And it's a musical instruction. The word is this, selah. It's a Hebrew word. It's kind of hard to translate, but ultimately it means to pause 
or to rest. It was a, a way as they were singing or reading these psalms just to know, hey, pause, take a moment and reflect back on what you've been reading. To hold on to the truth of what you just experienced in this psalm, of what we found out about God before moving forward into what's ahead. And I asked our worship team, I said, can we just take a moment to collectively here and online, just kind of Selah in the chaos of our world, and our lives, of our week, just to pause, to be still, and to know that he is God. So let me pray for us as we do. Jesus, there is chaos in our world. There's chaos in our lives. And to be still can feel impossible, that can feel irresponsible, it may feel useless. But I pray today that we would hear this invitation and know that there's beauty in this invitation, Lord. There is communion with you in this invitation. There is power in this invitation. So help us now and in the weeks, years to come, to be still, knowing we're gonna need your help in this, you might have to force us to lie down sometimes. But in that, to trust that in that stillness, we can know that you are God. As the band gives us this space and sings this song over us, help us to learn this, to understand this in a new and rich and deep way. Amen.